back. Yes, sir. This is the Fighting for the Faith radio program. This is the program that does what 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 5 says. It says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Yeah, we do that politically incorrect thing, that thing you're not supposed to do. We compare people's ideas and thoughts to the Word of God to see if what they're teaching is true or whether it's false. And here's the fun part about it. You actually get to do the same thing with whatever it is that I say. This is Chris Rosebro. I am a, a teacher, a CEO. I am a general malcontent, a heresy hunter of sorts, if you would. I have a degree in religious studies and biblical languages from Christ College, uh, Concordia University in Irvine. Uh, I also got a master's degree in business administration from Pepperdine University. And this is the Fighting for the Faith radio program. We're in the process right now of uh, finishing up our partnership with a new Christian broadcasting network. And uh, the Fighting for the Faith program will actually become a daily program. It's, it may even be two hours long. I don't have all the details that I can give you at this point, so stay tuned. All I can say is right now we're back in production and we're trying to work on our chops a little bit before we go live with this new Christian Broadcasting Network. Um, in the past, you've been able to communicate it to us through email uh, you can still do so. If you would like to comment on anything that you hear on this program, you can do so at talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com. Yes, our website is fightingforthefaith.com. But we also have a brand new listener comment line. Now, this is not a toll-free number. So many of you people now have these unlimited minutes plans, and and it's so cheap nowadays to uh, use a telephone that uh, we didn't put in a toll-free number. So this one's on your dime. And uh, you can call... And leave a comment or you can leave a question, and uh, if we deem it worthy, we will play it on the air. And you can reach us at the uh, Fighting for the Faith uh, listener comment line at 949-276-6038. That's 949-276-6038. Now, into Fighting for the Faith, our first segment today, we're going to start off with a little bit of news, and so we've got some uh, news music to go along with it. Here it is. Are you ready for the news? Ah, yes. It's time for the news. And boy, have we got a doozy of a news story for you today. This comes from the National Post in Canada. The headline reads, Christianity without Christ. Whoever heard of such a thing as that? Christianity without Christ? You've got to be kidding me. This is uh, Dateline May 3rd, 2008. The story was written by Charles Lewis of the National Post. And we'll get right into it here. Are you ready? Here's what it says. I'll put a link to this up at the show's website at uh, fightingforthefaith.com if you would like to actually see this uh, for yourself. It's quite an interesting story. Here it is. It says... There is a Bible on a pedestal in Greta Vosper's West Hill United Church in Toronto. She would prefer that it did not have a special place, she said, because it is just a book among other books. In a similar way, the cross that is high above the altar has no special meaning. 
but there are a few older congregants for whom the Bible and the cross are still nice symbols, so they remain. <laughs> That's the lead-off to the story. <laughs> Whoa! Christianity without Christ, we don't need the cross, we don't need a Bible, uh, then what exactly makes this Christian? Here's what the story continues. It says, though an ordained minister, she does not like the title of reverend. Well, that's you shouldn't, uh, Reverend Vosper, because you're a woman and you don't meet the qualifications biblically, but I digress. It is one of those symbols that hold the church back from breaking into the future to a time when the label Christian won't even exist and the church will be freed from the burdens of the past. To balance out those symbols of the past inside West Hill, there is a giant non-religious rainbow tapestry just behind the altar and a multicolored streamers hang from the ceiling. Here's what Miss Vosper says. He says, the central story of Christianity will fade away. She explained the story about Jesus as the symbol of everything that Christianity is will fade away. Well, actually, not if Jesus Christ had a, has anything to say with it. I mean, he says that um, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. So um, who should we believe here? She, should we believe the reverend, in quotes, uh, Vosper, who says that Jesus as the symbol of everything that Christianity is will fade away, even though he's going to be with us till the very end of the age. Or should we, you know, I mean, who should we believe here? <laughs> I don't believe Ms. Vosper, but I'll continue. Here's some more from the story. It is an absolute certainty that Miss Vosper would not go for the title of follower of Jesus and, you know, uh, regarding what to change the name of Christianity to. Miss Vosper does not believe in the virgin birth, the resurrection, miracles, and the sacrament of baptism, nor does she believe in the creeds, the presence of Christ in communion, or that Jesus was the Son of God. Wow! She doesn't believe any of that? And yet she's a Christian? Here's what it says. It says, The Bible is used in her services, but it gets rewritten to be more contemporary and to speak to more people. Wow, this is interesting. She's What she's saying here doesn't sound any different than what the kind of stuff that we're hearing in today's modern seeker-sensitive evangelicalism. But let's continue. Even the Lord's Prayer, also known as the Our Father, does not make the cut because it creates an image of God who intervenes in human existence. Oh, we wouldn't want that, would we? And then there's this father part that is not inclusive language and carries with it the notion of an overbearing tyrant who condemns people to hell. Wow, all that from the Lord's Prayer. I mean, hell isn't even mentioned in the in the Lord's Prayer. Delivers from the evil one, it does say. Well, never mind. So why exactly does she still call herself a Christian, yet alone a minister? Quote, I could leave the church because I don't hold those orthodox understandings, she said. And I would say, please do. There's nothing Christian about you. But, she says, I think that in a generation or so, we might stop using the term Christian altogether. And I hope, perhaps, we will stop using labels for every religious tradition. There's nothing wrong with a faith tradition evolving, she says. 
And I believe that that's what we're doing. It's, it's, it's been evolving for a long time, but we're afraid to acknowledge that. So this is merely the next iteration of what Christianity needs to be. I got to pause there for a second before I read anything else. She wants a Christianity without Christ. She wants a Christianity without the cross. She wants a Christianity without the scriptures. It's just a book. Um, she doesn't believe in the virgin birth, in miracles, in a God that intervenes in our life. Uh, I mean, isn't she for the most part an atheist at this point? Um, she's certainly not Christian. She, there's nothing uniquely Christian about her. But let's compare what she says, that uh, Christianity is a faith tradition that can evolve. And let's compare it to uh, what Scripture says. Uh, in the book of Jude, verse 3, it says, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. So the Apostle Jude, who happened to be the brother of Jesus Christ, he believed in a faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. In fact, Scripture calls us to fidelity, not evolution. It calls us to stand firm in the one true faith against evolving heresies. Here's what Hebrews says. Uh, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. It speaks to the immovability of the Christian faith. So who should we believe, the scriptures, or should we believe Ms. Vosper? You know, the reverend, in quotes, Vosper. Well, here's, we continue. She says, the church is extremely important because it can be a transformative element in individual lives and communities. And that was the root of what the Christian church was about, transforming the way people see themselves in relation to the communities around them and in relation to each other and about living in that community. Christianity took over that story and manipulated it to a very different story. Now, this is interesting. Ms. Vosper, actually, in this article here, doesn't sound any different than Brian McLaren, Doug Paget. Tony Jones. These people all speak this way. In fact, many of the modern mega church pastors, um, I would think, you know, like Tim Stevens, uh, pastor of Granger. I would think of uh, Rick Warren, Bill Hybels. These guys talk about, you know, transforming people's lives. Well, she wants to have people's lives completely transformed without Christ, without the Bible, without all of that stuff, and learn how to live in community. Her, the way she speaks, isn't any different. Even though she's a liberal, it, the way she's speaking isn't any different from the stuff that we're hearing from modern, popular evangelicalism. Okay? In fact, she says this. The focus, it says this, fo the focus of her spiritual life is love. And since love is the common bond between all people, it is really the only thing worth believing in. So she doesn't believe in Christ... She believes in love. Interesting. Here is the context of seeking out harmony with all things. The purest understanding of those values that enhance and sanctify life becomes the foremost spiritual practice, she writes. We call it love, radically inclusive love. It is here in the caring, challenging, prophetic role with which it is so familiar that the church can really shine. Wow. Well... 
um, let's, I don't trust this woman and what she has said puts her at odds with the scripture. And so since no one really seems to have the guts to say it, I'll say it. This woman's not a Christian. She's not a pastor. Her church isn't a Christian church. And what she's teaching isn't Christianity. It's not true. It's a lie. And it will send people to hell. Now, let's compare what she said to what the Apostle Paul wrote. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting at verse 18. It says this, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Now, she wants to get rid of the cross, and Paul, the Apostle Paul, who met the resurrected Jesus Christ, who was knocked off his high horse, literally, met the resurrected Jesus Christ, who received his doctrine specifically and directly from Jesus Christ himself, focuses in on the cross and focuses on Christ. And he says, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. Now, Ms. Vosper, the so-called reverend Ms. Vosper, she thinks the cross has got to go. It's just a ridiculous metaphor. It doesn't have any real meaning. We've got to get rid of this ancient symbolism so that we can follow love. She considers the cross folly. Well, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18, since she does so, she's actually in the bucket of people that we would call those who are perishing. For it is written, God says, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. So where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the sage? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. Did you catch that? It, we preach something that is folly, and through that folly we save people. What is it? What is that folly? Well, here's what it says in verse 22. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing the things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let he who boasts, boast in the Lord. Miss Vosper is quite boastful. She's boastful about getting rid of Christ. Yet those of us who follow Christ, we don't boast in our own righteousness. We don't boast in our own wisdom. We don't boast in our own ideas. We know that they are nothing. Instead, we preach something foolish. And it, you want to know how foolish it is? Just read this article. And that is we preach Christ and him crucified. We preach the gospel of Christ crucified for our sins. Paul continues. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. 
And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or with wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Well, Miss Vosper, the Apostle Paul, who got his doctrine and his teaching directly from Jesus Christ himself, says that he chose to know nothing among us except for Christ and him crucified. You, on the other hand, are quite the opposite. You chose to know everything except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. And your God, the idol that you've set up, is love. Now, the scriptures say that God is love, but it does not say that love is God. You've taken love and turned it into your God. And it's important to note, you've made it very clear that your God is not compatible with the teachings of the Bible, the teachings of the Christian faith as delivered to us as the words of God themselves. Nope. You've made it clear that you want a Christianity without Christ. Therefore, you are not a Christian. You are something else. Repent of your sins. Or that mean old fatherly God, the oppressive one, who promises to reward us of our iniquity by sending us to hell unless we trust in Christ, he's going to come and get you. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's politically incorrect, isn't it? All right. Well, we've, we've done enough with that. Christianity without Christ. This next segment that we're going to take a look at, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, the Seeds of Compassion event that took place a couple of weeks ago in Seattle. This was an event put on by the Dalai Lama. He's a, the head of Lama Buddhism from Tibet. Well, actually, he's not in Tibet right now because Tibet is uh, not allowed to have him there. I think he's operating out of India right now. But he's he's a spiritual leader of uh, much of Buddhism and is considered to be uh, an, an ascended master of spiritual being, a deity of sorts, if you would. And uh, he held a an event in Seattle that went on for four or five days called Seeds of Compassion. And on the last day of the conference, they uh, they had an interspiritual event where on the stage, people from 17 different religions across the world you know, shared the stage to teach children how to be compassionate. And uh, to teach them the importance of altruism and compassion and love in the world. And uh, among the people on the stage was uh, Mr. Rob Bell himself. Rob Bell is an emergent church leader. Supposedly, he was representing Christianity. He's the pastor of Mars Hill Bible Church in Grand Rapids, Michigan. And the question is, should he have been there in the first place? What it, Was it appropriate for anybody who confesses Christ to be on the stage with a bunch of people from a you know, from different religions proclaiming compassion was this something that was appropriate did this honor jesus christ is this something that christians should be doing well what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at uh, the things that rob bell says but before we do that i actually want to give you a flavor of the conference itself um because when you get the flavor of the conference you'll get an idea as to whether or not uh, Rob Bell brought Jesus Christ to this event, represented Jesus Christ, or if his uh, his actions really fit more with what we saw 
and and just read from the National Post in Canada about Christianity without Christ, you have to decide for yourself. You need to listen. So what we're going to do now is this next segment is called Seeds of Compassion or Seeds of Deception. And uh, this first soundbite is from early on in this uh, in the interspiritual event, the um, interspiritual day, and uh, it's from a guy by the name of Robert Taylor. He is Father Robert Taylor. He is a Catholic priest, and in this segment, you're going to be hearing what he thinks about this interspiritual event and what he thinks God thinks about it. And uh, we're going to compare what he says to the Word of God, uh, to the Scriptures. And we're going to, uh, you know, take a look. So what, what what this is doing here, it doesn't really set this up for you. He's he's going to be presenting the Dalai Lama with a, a prayer wheel. We, that's not actually part of the quote, but so that you know what he's saying. And uh, let's take a listen to uh, what Father Robert Taylor had to say. Earlier this morning, as we began this fifth and final day of the Seeds of Compassion event, Some of us gathered for a prayer breakfast, and there were over 17 different spiritual and faith traditions present at that breakfast this morning. Okay, 17 different faith traditions, read into that world religions, got together, and Rob Bell was part of that prayer breakfast, and uh, prayer occurred, you know, at this prayer breakfast. Um, Rob Bell apparently praying with the Dalai Lama and uh, with with Muslims and Sikhs and Catholics and everything. Okay, let's see what. Let's continue on. And I suspect that there are an even greater number represented here today. And because God invites us as spiritual people to be a force for goodness, for love, for mercy, and for compassion, we can only imagine that God is smiling right now, perhaps even winking at you and at us. (laughs) Okay. So he's saying that we can only imagine that God is probably smiling and winking from heaven at the fact that these people from all these different religions got together to have a prayer breakfast and have a interspiritual day teaching children about compassion. Wow. Um, the operative word there is imagine. It's in Father Robert Taylor's imagination, because this is not what the scriptures teach. Now, let me remind you all what one of the Ten Commandments was. Are you ready? It's Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. It says this, You shall have no other gods before me. None. No other gods. In fact, if you read the Old Testament, spend some time in the text you will find that God does not accept worship of other deities as worship to him. He calls them idols. He mocks people who worship the work of their own hands. And he doesn't accept it. In fact, he punishes them for following other gods. So 
Um, I would argue, based upon Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, that a gathering of interspirituality and a gathering of all of the different religions of the world um, would not make God happy whatsoever, um, unless, of course, it was to proclaim and exalt the one true God and call people to repentance and call them to abandon their idols and call them to abandon their false religions and trust the one true and living God. But that's not what happened at this event. Um, so, but uh, Father Robert Taylor says that he imagines that God was smiling and winking from heaven. Um, not the case at all. So the question is, um, right off the bat, if this is what you get a feel for here, this ooey-gooey spirituality that's going on, can a Christian participate in this? Uh, can a Christian be a part of this interspiritual type of dialogue that's going on here? Um, I'm going to put up a, a passage here that says that I would argue says no. Are you ready? Here's what it says. It says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting at verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. So 2 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us very clearly and very plainly that we are not to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, many people use this passage in reference to marriage, that we should, we as Christians shouldn't marry unbelievers. And it's true, but it's far more than just that. I mean, at this event, um, there's there's a generic spirituality and a false religion that's being taught. And I'm going to give you a flavor for it here in this next soundbite. This next soundbite is actually the Dalai Lama. And the Dalai Lama in this soundbite is going to be saying that he believes that all religions teach the same thing regarding humanity. And uh, let's listen very carefully here. This is the Dalai Lama speaking about what he thinks about uh, the teachings of all religions. Are you ready? Here we go. I think it seems to say that all religions, different sort of names, due to different philosophy, but ultimately, ultimately, uh, everyone in deep insight, some kind of goodness. I think that's important, you see, to realize and useful in many cases. Okay, so there we have the Dalai Lama at this interspiritual event. On the stage next to him, just a couple people over, is Rob Bell. 
And the Dalai Lama said that he believes that all religions teach that there's something good within uh, human beings. Now, this is not what Scripture teaches. In fact, the Scriptures make it clear that we are by nature sinful and fallen human beings, that we are not good, but that we are born in rebellion to God, and that that rebellion um, is what Christ came to die for. And so, um, you know, there's uh, something seriously going wrong here, and uh, this is not what uh, the Scriptures call us to. In fact, Scriptures call us to be separate. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Do you think Rob Bell, at this event, that was teaching a generic spirituality that all the religions were the same and that God was smiling from heaven down on what these people were doing, despite the fact they worshipped other gods and followed different religions, was actually true Christianity? Welcome back to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. We're talking about the role of uh, Christians in interspiritual events. Is it okay for us to be participating in these types of things, especially if we're not bringing Christ? What communion does light have with darkness? Well, we're going to find out. We're going to continue on this. Before we get back back into uh, what we were talking about, I'd like to uh, go over a couple of notes with you. Just a reminder, if you would like to sound off, if you'd like to leave a question or ask a question or make a comment, you can do so by calling us on our Fighting for the Faith listener comment line. The number is area code 949-276-6038. So uh, please uh, call us and Leave us a message, and if we find your comment or question worthy, we'll put it on the air and uh, and answer it as part of our program. So you can basically sound off about anything that we've already talked about on this program. Um, also, if you would like to uh, meet me in person, I'm going to be teaching at uh, Faith Defenders in Brea, California on May 14th and May 21st, 2008. Uh, the class begins at 7.30, and the name of the class is Faith Defenders, and it meets at Brea Center Baptist Church at 251 South Randolph Street in Brea, California. If you uh, want to call and get directions, you can do so. You can reach uh, the, the Baptist Church there at 714-529-4109. And I'm going to be talking about how to deconstruct emergent errors. Yes, I believe the uh, emergent church has uh, engaged in some errors, and I'm going to teach you guys using the scriptures how to deconstruct emergent errors and and hopefully uh, protect yourselves and your friends and your fellow Christians from the errors that are being taught in the emergent church. So the name of it is Deconstructing Emergent Errors at Faith Defenders on May 14th and 21st at Brea Center Baptist Church. So, all right, let's get back to what we were discussing uh, we are discussing seeds of compassion or seeds of deception, and this is uh, what is the Christian's role in this interspiritual, interfaith type of things. And uh, we've already gone over what Paul writes for us in Second Corinthians chapter six, verses fourteen through eighteen, beginning with, "Don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? 
And so we're going through uh, some quotes here from the Seeds of Compassion event from a couple of weeks ago in Seattle, which Rob Bell, very popular Christian uh, superstar nowadays, him and his NUMA videos, uh, participated in. And uh, we're I'm at, before we talk about what Rob Bell says and compares it and compare it to the scriptures, what we're doing is testing to see uh, what's going on at this event, what religion is being promoted. And so far, we've uh, heard the Dalai, the Dalai Lama uh, say that all religions teach the same thing regarding the goodness of man. And actually, the scriptures do not teach that man is good. The scriptures teach that we are fallen and sinful creatures. And uh, especially when it comes to God, we cannot please him and do not please him. But uh, we're going to pick up where this left off, and we're going to get to a real interesting question and a couple of answers uh, regarding how does uh, how do you handle these interspiritual events without losing the, the distinctives of your religion? So uh, you're going to hear this question, and here we go. How can interfaith dialogue bring compassion without the fear of losing one's own religious identity? <laughs> so this is a really kind of a raw question. OTA now asks, how can interfaith dialogue nourish compassion without the fear of one losing one's religious identity? Now, before I go any farther, this kid asked the right question. Uh, you know, wait a second. You know, this interfaith dialogue seems to be kind of squishing things up. How do we, how do we handle this without losing our own religion? Well, let's, let's uh, hear what uh, a Muslim woman had to say on this. So, um, Dr. Matson, would you step into that question, please? Well, um, I'd like to just re refer to a verse of the Quran that addresses this question in particular. Um, the Quran says God created religious pluralism for a reason. It would have been in his power, complete power, to make us one faith community. But he chose to create us in these communities so that we could strive as in a race towards goodness. So interfaith engagement and dialogue is like the Olympics of the spirit. <laughs> we all, when we strive, looking at the other person in a spirit of, of holy envy, of wanting to be better in that way, I want to have the forgiveness of Archbishop Tutu. I want my community to embrace that. I want my community to have the patience and the compassion of His Holiness the Dalai Lama. This is what will make each of us better without losing anything. Mm -hmm. So this is the true Olympics here today. Thank you. Okay. Well, um, God created religious pluralism, according to this woman, so that we would strive towards goodness. Um, okay. That's not what Scripture teaches. In fact, not even close. And this is an, another example of the type of falsehood that's being promoted at the Seeds of Compassion event. We haven't even gotten to Rob Bell's comments. In fact, we're probably not going to get to them on, in, this, in this broadcast. We're going to have to pick them up in the next one. And already, you know, we're just laying the foundation. This is the spirituality that is being taught here. And the reality, the spirituality that is being taught is this understanding that somehow all of these religions have something good to contribute to uh, to mankind and, and, and to the concept of goodness and spirituality. In a sense, it's they're teaching that all religions are pretty much the same. 
uh, despite all their differences. Now, um, in case you're not aware, the Bible actually has several interspiritual events that are recorded in it. And uh, one of those interspiritual events was uh, a meeting between uh, Elijah, who represented Yahweh of the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who claims to be the one true God. And uh, the God, the, those uh, 450 prophets of Baal, who was uh, one of the fertility gods of Canaan, and, uh, and 400 prophets of Asherah, another fertility deity. Um, and, uh, and there was a big interspiritual event that took place on Mount Carmel back when, uh, when Ahaz was the, was the king of the, of the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's recorded for us in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And let's see if uh, the God of the Old Testament uh, it tolerates uh, religious plurality, uh, religious, uh, all these different competing religions, and see how well he tolerates them. So we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 17. And uh, we pick up when King Ahab, I'm sorry, it's King Ahab, uh, meets Elijah on uh, on Mount Carmel. And Elijah and Ahab says to him, Is it you, you troubler of Israel? So right off the bat, uh, Ahab considers Elijah to be the troubler of Israel uh, because he worships and serves the one true God. And Elijah answers, says, I have not troubled Israel, but you have in your father's house because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me at Mount Carmel and the 450 prophets of Baal and the 450 prophets, 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. So we here we've got this big interspiritual event on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and he said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord, if Yahweh is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. So then Elijah took and said to the people, I, even I, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves and cut it into pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire on it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire on it. And you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of Yahweh. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. And all the people answered, it is well spoken. So already, this is interesting. What we have here, what's funny is the emergence would consider this to be some kind of a modern idea that there's only one God. Um, no, this goes all the way back. This is a true propositional statement that there is only one God. And, Eli and Elijah is acting as if one is actually true and the other one is actually false. He's acting as if the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and Jacob is the one true God, and there does not exist another God. And so the he puts out this test. We're going to empirically test this claim out. And the God who answers by fire, that is the one true God. And the people said this, this is well spoken. 
So then Elijah, this is verse 25, said to the prophets of Baal, Choose yourselves one bowl and prepare it first, for you are many, and call upon the name of your God, but put no fire on it. And then they took the bowl that was given to them, and they prepared it, and called upon the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. And they limped around the altar that they had made, and at noon Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or maybe he's relieving himself. Yes, you heard that right. Elijah actually mocked them and said that maybe their god was using the restroom. Or maybe he's on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the obulation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Could it be because they were following a false god? Then Elijah said to the, all the people, Come near to me. And all the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. Elijah took the twelve stones according to the numbers of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And then the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering of the obulation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God, and I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, Yahweh, the Lord, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook uh, of Kishon and slaughtered them there. So here we have in this passage in 1 Kings an interspiritual event. And rather than accepting religious pluralism, rather than saying, you know, the prophets of Baal and the Shira, they all, you know, they all worship me just under different names. That's not what the Lord said. 
He said that they worshipped false gods. And as a result, he punished them, and their punishment on that day was their death. It's highly politically incorrect to be speaking this way nowadays. Yet, this is what the scriptures teach. The scriptures do not teach religious pluralism. They teach the one true Christian faith in the one true God. And worshiping another, God doesn't accept it as worship to him. So um, let me uh, now give to you the Dalai Lama's answer. This one is a little long, so bear with it. Um, you know, so that you you get a feel for what was occurring here on this interspiritual day. And what you're going to be listening for, because it's a little difficult to hear, it's about two minutes long, two minutes and 30 second long uh, quote from the Dalai Lama. And, he, you know, this is answering that same question. How do you, you know, you know, how do you, fo- you know, have these interspiritual things without losing your own religion, so to speak? And the Dalai Lama will actually say in this, and you're going to hear it, that um, all religions, even though they seem contradictory, have the same essence and the same result. Therefore, they're all true. So let's go to the Dalai Lama's answer regarding this. Therefore, Buddha deliberately create different philosophy according to suitability of certain methods. Okay, he's saying that the Buddha created different conflicting or contradictory philosophies. Um, but that, don't worry about that. That's all good. Certainly the dispositions. Now, this what we learned. When we look Buddha's sort of different sort of contradictory philosophy, we admire Buddha. Sorry, it, incre- it helpful to increase admiration of Buddha, so compassionate. Okay, he's saying that the Buddha created all these different philosophies in order to create um, uh, admiration for Buddha's wisdom and compassion. Now, notice something here also, that the Dalai Lama has no problem whatsoever mentioning the Buddha. Um, when we get to uh, Rob Bell in the, next, uh, in the next hour, which will be broadcast the following day, it will be broadcast tomorrow, um, We'll see if uh, Rob Bell mentions the name of Christ. Here we have the Dalai Lama mentioning the Buddha. But uh, Rob Bell, um, he doesn't mention Christ, but uh, I digress. So here he's saying that uh, the Buddha created all these different contradictory philosophies and religions, but he did so to uh, bring wisdom, you know, to you know, show how compassionate and wise he was. Let's continue with the Dalai Lama. So sort of was the wise not imposing sort of his sort of one philosophy. Okay, he says the Buddha is not doesn't is not interested in imposing one philosophy. Imposing that's an important word. Apparently, the God of Israel is interested in imposing worship of the one true God because all the other gods are false. But uh, the Buddha is wise and uh, he doesn't want to impose one one way of thinking. So says the Dalai Lama. But it's a different philosophy. So similarly. Uh, when we saw you in different traditions, uh, uh, in the philosophical field, uh, yes, diff- big differences, fundamental differences. Doesn't matter. What is the, the, the real essence of the teaching? It's- okay, he says it doesn't matter that all these uh, religions and philosophies are contradictory. He says, what is their essence? He said, and he's going to make the case that all of their essence is the same. Same. 
Okay, got to back that up. Hang on a second here, just so you can hear it in context. Here we go. Doesn't matter what is the, the, the real essence of the teaching. It's the same. Uh, effect according to different people is the same effect. Therefore, uh, so the, I mean, there's a sufficient reason to respect, to appreciate. That's usually my, my thinking. So more variety of tradition, the better to satisfy variety of people. Do you agree? Okay, so what he's basically arguing here in this quote, okay, is that all the religions, all the philosophies, even though they appear contradictory, that the reason why there's all these different contradictory or seemingly contradictory uh, religions is to make it so we can know how wise and compassionate the Buddha is, but also because there's millions of different flavors and tastes and, and people like variety. So all of the variety of all of these religions, is it doesn't matter if they seem contradictory, that they all have the same essence and the same result is compassion. Therefore, they're all the same. So therefore, we are all, regardless of all of these different blends that we see up here, we all are worshiping pretty much the same thing. That's what the, the Dalai Lama said at the Seeds of Compassion event, and you heard it for yourself. And remember, Rob Bell was just a few people over from the Dalai Lama. So by his appearance uh, on the stage, already Rob Bell is making it appear like he is um, in agreement with what the Dalai Lama is saying and what the Dalai Lama was teaching and what these other people were saying, that all of these, all of our religions, even though we're different and we have different faith traditions and come from different communities, that we all have pretty much the same essence and we have the same results, and that is, is that we're you know the result of altruism and love, and therefore the differences don't matter because the differences were designed to to go with the different uh, varieties and tastes of humans and that ultimately they're when you boil it all down it's all the same now personally i would not have appeared at an event like this now if they had gagged me and tied me and hogtied me and make me go and were unfortunate enough to actually give me the microphone I would have made it clear that that is not what scriptures teach and that the God of the Bible does not accept worship from people who follow other religions and false gods. Now, let me make my case again. Since we've, you know, we got an Old Testament example here that I gave, let me give you another example of an interspiritual event that took place in the Bible. And this time the example is actually taken from Acts chapter 17 from the New Testament. And uh, we read about this uh, when Paul visits Athens. Now, what's funny is that this particular passage is uh, is where Rob Bell takes the name of his church from, Mars Hill Bible Church. And there's all kinds of people in the contemporary Christianity who are saying that this is an example of Paul using relevant language to reach out with the gospel. Well, okay, but uh, notice that this wasn't in a church, but that's a different story. So let me read about this interspiritual event and see if what Paul did comports is compatible with what the Dalai Lama said. 
And here's what the dollar, and here's what Paul says, or what says about Paul in Acts chapter 17, starting in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. All right. So Paul saw that there were idols everywhere and he was provoked in his spirit because of it. So he went out into the marketplace proclaiming Christ. Now, some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, well, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. So you want to know what Paul was doing? He was provoked by their idols. He goes into the marketplace and he was preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. Not exactly relevant stuff to be preaching. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus saying, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? For you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except for telling and hearing something new. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I now proclaim to you, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed God's offspring." Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. Now notice there in Acts chapter 17 verse 29, even though Paul finds some common ground by talking about uh, nature and the creation and even quoting their own poets, he then turns on them and is attacking outright, polemically attacking their ideas of God and their idols. And he does this in a way that is not going to make somebody who's politically correct happy at all. Okay, let, me, let me back up and read this and you'll see what I'm talking about. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone or an image formed by the art and imagination of, of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Wow. He, called, he, he attacks their concept of gods. He attacks their idols, calls it a time of ignorance, and he even says that they need to repent. Whoa. 
what was Paul thinking? I thought that this was a, a passage about being uh, seeker-sensitive. It's anything but, really, um, because he calls them to repentance. That's one of the things that's missing in today's church. And this was what was missing in Rob Bell's speech, by the way. So uh, he calls everywhere people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance of all of this by raising this man, him, from the dead. Wow, sounds like um, the kind of thing that would get that uh, Reverend Vospers all upset. This has definitely got to go. I mean, here we've got this exclusive claim about an exclusive religion and claiming that we have to repent and, and that God's going to come and judge the world by a man. This is the kind of stuff that just drives the liberals crazy. And there it is. Now, what was the reaction of the people who heard this? Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. But others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went from their midst, but some men joined and believed. Among them were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Interesting stuff, is it not? I mean, rather than having seeds of compassion... Paul was preaching seeds of exclusivity and chose to know among them Jesus Christ and him crucified only because that's what the Christian faith is all about. It's about Christ crucified for sinners. It's not a religion that tolerates um, falsehood. No, Christianity is an exclusive claim. There is no other name under heaven given by which men can be saved. It's Jesus Christ and Him alone. We have no business engaging in interspiritual conferences or events unless we're bringing Christ and calling men to repentance and faith, that their sins may be forgiven and that they may have eternal life. We'll see you next time.